I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am. I'm very ready. Let's go! All right, let's give it a whirl! Okay, and I want to say hello, everybody. And today I really want to say hi to Debbie and Rusty and Caitlin because I had so much fun with them over the weekend uh, at the wonderful, spooky Halloween event that we did um, that Chandler was in charge of. So, hi, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, yes, uh, hello to uh, everyone, uh, whether uh, we know you personally or not. We're very grateful for uh, all of our listeners out there in this uh, great country of ours and all over this wonderful world. Uh, and for those of you, if this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, welcome. Uh, we've got quite the party going on over here. Uh, so uh, the way that the show works is that uh, in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. Uh, she will then input that data into the bat computer and out will come the astrological birth chart where all the planets, moons and stars were at the moment our mystery history guest was born. Uh, she will then do her very best to uh, give us a uh, blind reading of this chart, uh, telling us what she can about the person's personality traits and fortunes, uh, motivations of this person. Uh, I will then reveal to her who our mystery history guest is, and then uh, give a little background about the person, and then uh, she and I will come together at the end and discuss how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. Uh, without any further ado, let us begin. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, this is a male. All right. Uh, born on the 13th. Ooh. Uh-huh. Of December. Okay. 1887. All right. Okay. And do we have a birth time? Uh, we unfortunately do not for this one, so we'll have to go with noon. All right. We'll go with noon. 
All right. And where in the world? Uh, the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Mall, Tennessee. All right. Okay. Uh, so this is a male born December 13th, 1887 uh, in the United States. And, uh, well, it, what I've heard is that the locals call it pale male. Um, oh. But uh, either way, uh, pale male or Paul Mall, Tennessee. Okay. Well, uh, very interesting. This is uh, almost a splash chart. But um, we have either duplicated or triplicate or <laughs> triple triple uh, planets in a house. Whether, it, but we don't know what his rising sign is. So for this particular um, person, we've ended up with the ascendant as being in Pisces, but we don't know for sure what it is. So we're just going to read off the planets and uh their signs so we have sun at 21 degrees sagittarius moon at seven degrees sagittarius mercury at two degrees sagittarius this triple sage um venus at five degrees scorpio mars at three degrees libra jupiter at 23 degrees scorpio saturn at five degrees leo Uranus at 16 degrees Libra, Neptune at 28 degrees Taurus, Pluto at 3 degrees Gemini, and North Node at 10 degrees Leo, Chiron at 29 degrees Gemini. Very, very, very interesting. All right, so we're going to start with this North Node conjunct Saturn in Leo. And in this chart, it's falling in the fifth house. So, of course, I'm going to go to show business because North Node in Leo uh, conjunct Saturn. Uh, that is very capable of being a very, um, very creative and very entertaining person. Uh, Saturn in Leo at five degrees uh conjunct that north node by degree because it's within five degrees so somehow there are lessons having to do with leo things so it could be a leader or it could be any of the other leo things but more than likely it's someone who's fun i would hope if they're working with their light side and they are moving this direction, if they are not working with their light side or following their north node direction and they're following their south node direction, then they would be involved with a lot of groups of people. Um, this person has sun at 21 degrees Sagittarius and moon at seven degrees Sagittarius. So sun conjunct moon by sign, but not by degree. Sun conjunct moon in Sagittarius. This is a very independent, freewheeling, fiery person <laughs> who probably has a lot of energy, but it is a lot of fire energy. Um, 
this person has Chiron in at 29 degrees Gemini. So that Chiron is going to be healing communication, but also be nurturing. Um, we don't know what house it falls in, but these elements are really important. Like maybe this person nurtures through communication. Um, maybe when they speak, it is a healing thing. Maybe. Um, we have Pluto at three degrees Gemini. So that's interesting because this Pluto, which is a PowerPoint, you know, your Pluto is also, um, I just, I, I tend to read it as powerful. So we have this powerful ability to heal people. Now that I see that we have Pluto in Gemini conjunct their Chiron by sign, not by degree, this also is a very powerful ability to communicate and possibly negotiate. Um, then we have Neptune at 28 degrees Taurus. Neptune in Taurus would be, I mean, for an average person who doesn't have <laughs> North Node and Saturn in Leo, um, and sun and moon in Sagittarius, I would think that that Neptune in, in, in Taurus would be very grounding for them. But they also have a, like, Neptune in Taurus, I would imagine was someone who, who, who painted landscapes, you know, somehow used their imagination for um, earthy things having to do with the earth. Um, alchemy with the earth, uh, magical things that have to do with earth things, material things. Um, then I know I'm jumping all over the place, but I'm kind of catching it as it catches my eye. So then we have Mars and Uranus in Libra. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, Libra is the scales. It represents law. It represents fairness. It represents seeing both sides. It's ruled by Venus, so it represents beauty, handsomeness. You know, this man could have been very handsome with Mars in Libra. Um, but that Uranus also in Libra has a conjunctus Mars by sign, not by degree, would be unforeseen things happening to you as you move in your direction, as you move toward your passion, uh, surprising things happening uh, in your path. And then this person has Venus in Scorpio and uh, Jupiter in Scorpio. Venus conjunct Jupiter by sign, not by degree, in Scorpio. Uh, that is sort of like a never-ending flow of women, female energy, um, 
valuables, um, things that this person loves, material things also. Um, and then this person has Mercury also in Sag. So this person has Mercury conjunct moon in Sagittarius and then also sun in Sagittarius conjunct by sign, not by degree. So somehow uh, this person's communications are very passionate, um, very, uh, lots of energy in that, you know, and, and his emotions are going to be connected to his communications. Is any of this making any sense? Mm, yes. Okay, <laughs> good. Um, do you have any questions? Uh, so first, uh, the, I do see that there's an interception here in the Aries and Libra. Is there uh, anything that, uh, even though we don't, that that's determined on the birth time, right. but uh, is in in the case that this was the birth time, what would this interception tell us about him? Okay, so um, it is true. This is not his birth time, so he may or may not have this interception. But if he did have this interception, he would be having a very difficult time dealing with his direction and this futuristic, uh, unforeseen, all these, this Venus in Scorpio is not part of the interception, but the planets that he has in Libra are. And then his first house being uh, Pisces, right? His first house is 25 degrees Pisces. So his Aries, that would be his second house is intercepted, um, which would, which would give him, he would need to have an avenue to get to his Aries and an avenue to get to his um, Libra. Currently, <laughs> my concept is using synastry to get to your intercepted houses and bringing people into your life that can unlock those doors for you. This is my current theory. But since we do not know what time he was born, we can't assume that he has an interception, you know, but if he did, that's what it would be. He would, he would not be connected to his heirs, uh, to his Aries, his, his Martian, his natural Martian abilities. He would also have an issue with his uh, Libra of Venusian abilities per Libra, not per Taurus. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we can't we can't consider this as an interception. Mm -hmm. um, what is his relationship uh, to religion? Well, he has Sun, uh, Moon, and Mercury in Sagittarius. Sagittarius is ruled by Jupiter, which has to do with religion and dogma. So he could have a very passionate relationship with religion. and philosophy, and travel, all the things that have to do with Sagittarius and Jupiter. What is his relationship uh, with money and fame? Well, we don't know what his 10th house is. So that's hard to gauge. Um, because he has North Node and Saturn in Leo. I am assuming that there should be 
I mean, I always like to assume <laughs> that this person is in show business, but definitely Leo aspects, um, along with his uh, sun and moon and Mercury in Sagittarius. That's a lot of fire. He has Mars in Libra, which should make him very handsome. Um, and he has Uranus in Libra, which brings about unexpected things. So uh, then he has Venus conjunct Jupiter in Scorpio, which also offers the opportunity for career and fame and, you know, all of these things. So uh, I think that without knowing what the houses are, it's very difficult to decipher if this person was or was not famous, but they have the, the aspects to be famous. And how would they do with money? Again, this is a difficult situation to uh, decipher because we don't have a proper time of birth, but they have Venus conjunct um, Jupiter. And Venus is how you love and what you love. And Jupiter is the benevolent, never-ending giver, you know? So it would seem that this person would have access to a benevolent amount of things they love, if that is if that answers your question. What kind of hunter would he be? I would imagine with Sun, conjunct Moon, conjunct Mercury, and Sagittarius that this person would be a very good hunter. Sagittarians like to hunt, even if they're just hunting in the grocery store. They really like it. They like to hunt things. What is his relationship to alcohol? Well, he does have Neptune in... Taurus at uh, 28 degrees. So Neptune and Taurus at 28 degrees, he could like alcohol, you know, because he, but he would like the finest alcohol, <laughs> like the best alcohol or the best uh, um, uh, things that would make you. Uh, uh, unleash your imagination, you know, because it's Neptune. And so that he would like whatever it is, if this person does partake, they would, I can only imagine they would partake in the best. What is his relationship to violence? Well, he has Mars in Libra. So on that aspect, I would think that he would be more likely to um, negotiate or be more apt to negotiate a situation than attack it as far as his Mars is concerned. But he has Sun, Moon, and Mercury in Sagittarius. And Sagittarius people can have a, a really violent temper. You know, they're fire. When you deal with the fire sign, I mean... I can't think of a more, all the fire signs can be very quick 
with their anger and very ferocious, you know, but I would think that that Mars in Libra would temper that a little bit, even though it's air and fire, I would hope that it would temper it a little bit and make him more cerebral with it and be more, uh, really consider what's happening, you know? What kind of soldier would he be? Well, uh, fearless. Uh, Sagittarians are not afraid of anything. They're very, very brave. Um, and Mars in Libra. But Mars in Libra really should make this person consider things. But, I mean, if he is a soldier, then with that North Node in Leo conjunct Saturn, then he would be a leader. You know what I mean? Like, he would be some sort of leader. He would he would lead platoons or, I don't know, all the military terms, but he would lead, group, he would lead groups of people if he's working with his North Node. What is his legacy? I, I do not know because... I don't I don't have a way to look at his eighth house. He has Pluto in Gemini. Uh, Pluto rules the eighth house. So maybe I can grasp at straws here and say that maybe his legacy has to do with how he speaks or how he, you know, how he gives speeches or some kind of communication maybe. But without an accurate time of birth, uh, I can't. I can't see that eighth house. So I have to just go with what I see in Pluto. Uh, is there anything else that you can gather from a uh, first impression of of his chart? Well, I think that this person, if they're working with the light sides, would be a very trustworthy. But I mean, this person could be funny, you know, with all that Sag. Sagittarius people really like to play in the light side most of the time. They're honest, they are trustworthy, and then having that Jupiter and Venus in Scorpio, Scorpios do not trust people. You have to work your way into a Scorpio's trust, and then if you do anything to uh, dislodge that trust, they're kind of done with you. They will. They might not ever trust you again. You know. Um, but, I mean, I would think this is a really good person if they're working with all of their, um, you know, the light sides, I would think. Um, I'm very interested. I, I might know more once you say who it is if I know who they are. <laughs> uh, well, at this time, I think I want to look at... Um this person's chart on a specific date. I want to see the transits and see what we can gather from that. What date? Uh, October 8th. Okay. And what year? 1918. Okay. All right. Let's see what these transits are. Okay. So, Ooh, Chandler, this is hard because we don't have any um, times, but I will go with the planets. All right. So on this day, we have Chiron is in Aries. 
we don't know what that's affecting because he doesn't have anything in Aries. We have uh, Pluto. And Chiron is, is lessons, correct? The Chiron wounded healer. is wounded healer. Chiron is the wounded healer. From the wounds, there is healing. But he he. this is just what was happening on that day. Chiron was transiting Aries. So then we have Pluto and Jupiter transiting Cancer. And these have just passed his natal Chiron. His natal Chiron being at 29 degrees Gemini. And then Pluto being at six degrees Cancer. So that is a definite transit hitting his natal Chiron, which is a healing aspect, his ability to heal. It is, um, it's going to uh, light that up, you know? And Pluto is a death and rebirth situation uh, in the ability to heal. So that could be him dealing with death or it could be him dealing with massive change in the way that he is able to heal. Also, Jupiter is at 14 degrees Cancer. So Jupiter just came through. Jupiter and Pluto just came through and uh, hit his natal Chiron. Neptune is transiting in Leo. And it is at eight degrees. So it is right between his Saturn and his North Node. So somehow Neptune, the planet of illusion and imagination and uh, unknown hidden things, or even manipulation or you know, drug addiction, things like that, because it's ruled, Neptune is, Neptune rules Pisces, okay? So somehow there is a great deal of confusion, probably, in his direction and his lessons with his direction, like control of his direction could be um, thrown off by this Neptune uh, transit. So whatever he does, whether it's show business or leader or whatever, there is confusion there or illusion there or something along that lines. Then he also has transiting Saturn in Leo. And uh, that's interesting because um, this means this person is in their Saturn return. So if they're born in 1887, and what year are we doing? 1918. 1918. So he's 30. Uh-huh. He's having his Saturn return. So this is part, whatever is happening right now is part of his future. Um, he is dealing with the things that people deal with in their Saturn return. So we don't know where his Saturn is. So we don't know what he's dealing with per se, but we know he's dealing with stuff because it's his Saturn return and you can't escape that. It is 
a time in everyone's life when they go through a transformation and either you stay on the same path and you continue down that road, or you could change your path entirely. But your first out of return is that, is that change between being a young adult and, and almost like being a child too, uh, to being an adult. So in this situation, whatever it is, is going to be, um, not necessarily oppressive, but definitely significant. Okay. Then we have Venus, Mercury, and the sun. Well, the sun is what it is, you know, because the sun is going to transit every, you know, month or so. It's going to go, you know, 29 degrees. So it changes every month. So the sun is not as significant as knowing that Mercury and Venus are conjunct his Mars. So transiting Mercury is at eight degrees and his natal Mars is at three. And transiting, what did I say, Venus or Mercury right then? Mercury. Okay, so transiting Venus is at one degree. So they're riding together. Transiting Mercury and Venus are kind of riding together and they are hitting his Mars. So that's very interesting. That is uh, conversations, discussions, communication about things you want, what, what your direction is, whatever his direction is. So uh, he might be getting, you know, Venus, he might be getting what he wants in his direction. It's conjunct, so it isn't squaring his Mars. It is activating his Mars. So these things could be helping him get what he wants in his direction. Then moon is going to change every two and a half days. But transiting Mars, transiting the, the transiting Mars is at four degrees Sagittarius. So transiting Mars in Sagittarius has just hit his Mercury. It is about to hit his natal moon and it's coming up on his sun. So there's a lot of Sagittarius energy, lot of Sagittarius oomph happening at this point in time. And the North Node is um also in Sagittarius. So the direction of the el elements, the world, the outside world is very Sagittarian. So something about truth coming to light, maybe um, action being taken with regard to that Martian energy. Is any of this making sense? Uh, I think, uh, I think it'll make a lot more sense when I tell you what's going on. Okay. But because keep going. Oh, okay. Well, I think, uh, now we have Uranus is in Aquarius. Could you repeat Ur what you, you know, the, what's happening with the Mars? Okay. So Mars and North node are transiting Sagittarius. Mm -hmm. All right. So North Node is direction and 
kind of um, passionate direction, okay? And that is activating all of his Sagittarius, all right? And, and Mars is also direction and passion and moving forward, and that's activating all of his Sagittarius. And it's also what it's going to do because of all of this communication that's happening, the transits that are involving communication and Saturn, which is control and direction and not direction like passionate direction and like, you know, uh onward it's more like um lessons to be learned things you have to learn things you have to navigate you know what i mean but he's having a hard time with his navigation because neptune's there all right but up here when we're dealing with mars it, it i mean it could be as as literal as battles mars war battles or it can be energy you know direction and it's conjunct his mercury which is communication right so there could be communications about war it could be that simple or it could be really super complicated like talking about essences of of energies and how they manifest does that make any sense yeah oh okay all right. But I mean, it's hard because I don't know what houses these are in. I'm just giving you very, very basic, almost linear explanations of these transits because I don't know where they are in his chart. And I don't know if I will. I don't know if I know this person. So we'll have to find out. Uh, so is there uh, anything else that you uh, have to uh, say about about this person on October 8th, 1918? Well, not particularly about this person, because I'm not sure who it is yet, but I will say that when Uranus is in Aquarius, which is what we're about to have, I think. You're talking about today? Not. At the time? No, that I, my brain just went dead. Uh, maybe Uranus is not. I think Uranus might be in. I don't know where Uranus is right now. I'll have to look it up, but I just, it's gone out of my mind. But um, Uranus in Aquarius in general uh yeah we're about to have pluto go into aquarius i think uranus is in taurus right now so uh that's squaring it's going to be squaring pluto and aquarius when that happens okay but never mind any of that so <laughs> all i want to do right now is talk about when uranus is in aquarius which as you can see right here uranus was transiting aquarius Uranus is an outer planet. So Uranus has to do like with the whole world, right? So at this time, there must have been upheaval as far as humanity is concerned. Like uh, people real, like lightning bolt things happening in Aquarius, which is for the people because Uranus is earthquakes and tidal waves and hurricanes and all kinds of things that are not predicted. They're not, you don't expect this. It hits you like lightning and then you have to deal with it. He doesn't have any planets in Aquarius, so we don't have to worry about it hitting him directly, but he might be dealing with humanitarian issues or groups of people or uh, something like that. And, and, and possibly explosions or explosive things happening to groups of people. Because at this time, there would have been 
that type of behavior happening to groups of people because it's Uranus and Aquarius, if that makes any sense. All right. Uh, so uh, are you ready for a summary of our findings? Yes. So the first thing that you said is that um, this person would be capable of being a captivating and entertaining person. Uh, there are lessons to be learned with Leo things, uh, possibly leadership. Uh, he would be a fun person. Uh, he uh, would be involved with groups of people. Mm -hmm. uh, he is independent, freewheeling, fiery. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a part of him that deals with healing and communication, possibly healing people through his speech. Mm -hmm. uh, he is a very grounded person. Uh, he uses his imagination for earthly things. Uh, he could be very handsome. Uh, there are unforeseen things as he moves in his direction. There is a never-ending flow of women and feminine energy mm -hmm. uh, and material things, things that he wants. Uh, he uh, is very passionate and energetic about communication. He could have a difficult time dealing with his direction. Uh, there is difficulty accessing his Martian, uh, warrior-like things. Uh, there, uh, he is very passionate about religion, philosophy, and travel. Uh, he is fiery and handsome uh, and has all the aspects there that could uh, make him uh, someone of notoriety. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, has access to a benevolent amount of what he loves. He'd be a very good hunter. Uh, he could like alcohol, um, but uh, if uh, he drinks it, it's going to be the very best alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, and something that can unleash his imagination. Um, if in a uh, conflict, he would want to negotiate before attacking. But he could also have a violent temper, but he is here to uh, be cerebral about that and deal with that temper. Mm -hmm. uh, he could be fearless in battle. Mm -hmm. uh, he is a considerate person. Uh, he could be a leader of soldiers, uh, platoons. There is a legacy with speaking and communicating. He is trustworthy, honest. Uh, he is a really good person. Uh, then we took a look at uh, what he may have been going through on October 8th, 1918. Uh, Chiron is transiting uh, his Aries. So there's mm -hmm. something to do with the wounded healer uh, lessons with uh, Martian warrior-like things. Mm -hmm. uh, there is dealing with death, massive change in his ability to heal. There's a great deal of confusion with his direction. He could be thrown off. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever is happening in this whole period of his life is uh, going to affect the rest of his future. Mm -hmm. uh, there could be conversations about his direction. Um, the Things are activating uh, his Mars. There uh, is a lot of Sagittarius energy. Uh, there could be some truth coming to light for him at this time. Uh, he's having difficulty with his direction. It could be very simple. This could be a time of war and battles and communicating about war. 
this whole time period is uh, one of upheaval in humanity. There is lightning bolt events uh, occurring to the people. Uh, he could be dealing with all these uh, humanitarian uh, problems. There are explosions going on with groups of people. Mm -hmm. uh, is there uh, anything else that you'd like to add? Well, I just want to clarify that we don't know that this person has an interception in Aries and Libra. So with regard to Martian things, that would only be if he did have the interception, but we don't know that he does. So we don't know that he has any issues at all with Martian things. Are you ready to find out uh, whose chart you've been looking at? Yes. This is the astrological birth chart. One of the most decorated United States servicemen, Sergeant York. Okay. I don't know who he is, but I am sure he is very fabulous. And you must like him a lot, or he must have been suggested by one of our listeners, or we wouldn't be doing his chart. But I can only say that from what I see in his chart, I can imagine that he was very decorated. So I'm very excited to hear what you have found with regard to this um, Sergeant York. Uh, so uh, this uh, episode is set to drop on uh, November 11th of 2022. Oh, uh -huh. uh, that is uh, in the United States. It is our Veterans Day. Um, and all around the world, it is commemorated as Armistice Day, uh, the day that World War I ended. Mm -hmm. And um, of all of those who uh, served from the United States in World War I, Sergeant York is probably the most well-known. Um, so, uh, Alvin, uh, Colum York was born in December of 1887. Uh, he was, uh, born just outside, uh, the town of Paul Mall or Pale Mail, uh, Tennessee. Uh, he was the third of 11 children, uh, born to Mary and William York. Um, the Yorks were a, a poor family in, uh, the northeastern portion of Tennessee, Appalachia. Um, William would work as a blacksmith, but also work as a farmer and do all sorts of other odd jobs to try and keep the family afloat. Um, they lived in what is called the Valley of the Three Forks of the Wolf River. Um, they uh, did not have a lot of access to education. Uh, all of the York boys uh, could only claim to having nine months of being in school in their entire lives. Wow. 1911, um, Alvin York's father, William, passed away, and that made him, as the eldest son, responsible for taking care of the family. Uh, Alvin was uh, known as a determined worker. Mm -hmm. uh, he uh, would work in uh, railroads, logging, farming. Uh, he would do odd jobs all around the community, earning just 40 to 75 cents a day uh, to try and provide for the family. And in the times that he wasn't working in his younger life, well, uh, he was known to tie one off. Uh, oh. He was uh, uh, known as a rabble rouser, uh, <laughs> someone uh, who uh, spent a lot of time in the saloons uh, uh -oh. around Tennessee. Um, uh, he was known for drinking and cavorting and shooting and fighting. Um, <laughs> Actually, that's very Sagittarius. <laughs> Uh, 
one of his best friends, in fact, died during a saloon fight and a brawl that they were having uh, together. Um, this whole time, his mother, um, Mary, uh, was not very happy with Alvin York's, um, the way that he spent his off time. Uh, <laughs> she was a very devoted uh, Christian and, and implored him to, to come to church. And he did go to church in his early life, even mm -hmm. uh, led the choir and singing, but um, uh, it didn't really have that much of an effect on him. He, he very much enjoyed all the brawling and fighting that he was doing. <laughs> Um, and when he wasn't doing all the drinking and fighting, um, he was uh, an expert marksman. Uh, he was a hunter, and he uh, learned uh, a lot while, uh, even in this late time, uh, going into the early 1900s, um, a lot of these uh, royal families uh, were still using um, old cap and ball Civil War era rifles to do their wow. hunting. And uh, York became expert at getting uh, all the uh, turkeys in the area. And uh, he learned a lot of things uh, about, uh, about hunting in his early life and, and was known throughout the community as an expert marksman. Mm -hmm. um, their family attended uh, the uh, Church of Christ uh, in the Christian Union, uh, which was a pacifist sect. Uh, and uh, they uh, did not believe that uh, their little community in rural Appalachia should uh, really pay much attention to the secular politics of uh, the surrounding world. And, and they did not want to participate in the um, uh, intra-denominational uh, factions, the infighting between Baptists and Methodists and Episcopalians. They tried to uh, uh, quell all of those uh, infighting. Um, and in uh, January of 1915, uh, Alvin York had a religious epiphany, Ooh. and uh, he uh, went into the church and, and became a devoted member of the church and threw wow. off all of his uh, rabble-rousing ways. Um, two years later, uh, on April 6, 1917, the United States entered uh, World War I, declared mm -hmm. war on Germany. As part of that, uh, the United States uh, uh, had had a draft of all uh, eligible males between the ages of 21 and 30. Uh, York was 29, and he was called upon to enter the service. Wow. Um, when drafted, uh, he uh, applied uh, for, to, for conscientious objector status, uh, mm -hmm. someone who uh, does not believe in killing, that they are not capable of killing <gasps> oh. and therefore cannot fight. Wow. Um, this uh, went up wow. to uh, the draft board and uh, he was rejected. Uh, he then appealed uh, that rejection uh, and was rejected again. He appealed a second time. So he was rejected three times for conscientious objector status. And then uh, he was mustered into Company G of the 328th Infantry in the 82nd Division. Uh, they were training in Camp Gordon, Georgia. Uh, he uh, was very conflicted about all mm -hmm. of this. He was a true uh, pacifist who did not believe that he was capable of killing. Um, that makes sense. He uh, uh, went uh, to his uh, commanding officer, uh, Major Edward Buxton, who was like him, a, a very um, devoted Christian. Mm -hmm. And uh, he 
had a conversation with Buxton that lasted hours in which they traded off Bible verses to each other as to the, the legitimacy of, of, of what they were doing as soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, eventually, uh, Buxton left him uh, with uh, the quote from Luke 22:36, uh, "Let he who does not have a sword sell his cloak so that he can buy a sword." Wow. And then he left York uh, with a, uh, a 10 days leave to go back home and think about um, all the things that he was deeply conflicted about. Mm-hmm. At the end of the 10 days, he returned uh, to Camp Gordon and uh, he was uh, prepared to go to France, um, although he, he said that he was prepared to die for his country, but he still was not sure if he was capable of killing for his country. Right. Um, they, uh, along with uh, at least a million uh, United States troops, uh, entered uh, France um, in the fall of 1918. Um, they were participating in the Meuse-Argonne Offensive. Uh, so uh, the Germans, uh, at the beginning of the war, had created the Hindenburg Line, uh, and that's where we get all of our trench warfare. Uh, so uh, for nearly four years, the French and the English against the Germans uh, were at a stalemate. They would just be fighting and killing the hundreds and thousands uh, uh, are dying uh, just for a few feet uh, uh, between trenches and oftentimes would just trade trenches between each other. And so this new influx of United States troops was meant to finally break this line and be able to push the Germans back into Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, on October 8th of 1918, uh, Sergeant York's uh, platoon was ordered to take out a machine gun nest in the Argonne Forest. They were ordered to take Hill 223. Uh, This was to capture the railroad lines uh, that would stop the Germans from getting more supplies. Uh, If they captured these lines, then uh, the Germans would be forced to retreat back and hopefully bring an end to the war. Uh, York's platoon had 16 men, and they ended up going behind enemy lines to try and capture this machine gun nest. Mm -hmm. Uh, They uh, ran into a group of German guards and uh, were able to capture them. Uh, When they did so, uh, the machine gun nest, which was pointed in the other direction, turned their guns around to fire upon the Americans. Mm -hmm. Uh, When they did that, um, nine of the United States servicemen uh, were mowed down. Wow. Uh, that included all three of the commanding sergeants of the platoon. Uh, um, York was the corporal and was then uh, elevated to the commanding officer. Yeah. York told uh, the rest of the six men to keep guarding their German prisoners as he was going to go and take out that machine gun nest. Mm-hmm. Uh, as he uh, approached the machine gun nest, All of his uh, uh, lessons that he had learned hunting in the hollows of uh, Tennessee Mm -hmm. um, started to come uh, uh, to him. Uh, Mm -hmm. So he crouched down in a position to where the machine gun nest would not be able to aim low enough to hit him. Mm -hmm. And the German officers uh, or the men who were operating the machine gun would have to peek their heads above the hill to try Mm -hmm. and find out where he was. Mm -hmm. And every time he saw a helmet, he just touched it off. Right. And so he just get 
headshot after headshot after headshot of these uh, German uh, 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 men uh, in the machine gun nest, uh, and he was able to kill over 20 of them. Mm -hmm. Then uh, the uh, Germans inside the nest decide that they would lead a, uh, a charge uh, against him. Mm -hmm. and, and it's important to note that during this whole time, he was hollering out to them to surrender. Please mm -hmm. surrender. Mm -hmm. Come on down and surrender. Wow. Well, it is uh, 100 uh, men inside the nest uh, compared to one person who's firing against them. And they didn't, they, they thought that they, they could uh, take it on. And so they right. kept firing and they kept coming at him. Mm -hmm. uh, after he cleared out most of the machine gun nest, um, there was a charge led by uh, six Germans, uh, a bayonet charge. Uh, York pulled out uh, his uh, 1911 uh, pistol and uh, started picking them off. Uh, mm -hmm. He remembered how it was shooting turkeys, that you mm -hmm. never want to shoot the first one because mm -hmm. then they're all going to scatter. So you mm -hmm. start picking them off in the back so mm -hmm. that the one up front doesn't know how many are gone behind him. Right. And he was able to kill six that oh my way. Gosh. He then climbed up into the machine gun nest and started engaging whoever was left in the trench. Uh, as this uh, happened, uh, one of the German officers, a man named Lieutenant Vollmer, uh, was so uh, perplexed uh, that uh, nearly 30 of his men uh, had now been killed. Uh, he calls out to uh, York uh, and he says, English? And York says, no. And Vollmer says, what then? York says, American. Mm-hmm. Volmer says, good Lord, if you will stop shooting, I will make them surrender. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Lieutenant Volmer called out on the whistle uh, to make all of the rest uh, of the Germans in the nest surrender. Mm -hmm. um, he is responsible uh, for 26 confirmed kills. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, which led to the capture of 132 German soldiers. Wow. Um, this uh, uh, was uh, uh, remarkable. Uh, it, it's yes. amazing. Uh, yes. uh, uh, and this man who who did not want to do it the whole nope. time was calling for them to surrender. Yep. But he says um, in his journal uh, that uh, that there were over 30 of them uh, in continuous action. And all I could do was touch the Germans off as fast as I could. I was sharpshooting. All yeah. the time I kept yelling at them to come down. I didn't want to kill any more than I had to, but it was they or I, and I was going to give them the best that I had. Right. Uh, upon uh, delivering the prisoners uh, to uh, the commanding officer, uh, the man said, I heard that you captured the whole German army. York said, no, sir. I just captured 132. <laughs> Um, for his actions, uh, he was awarded the Medal of Honor, the highest uh, medal uh, capable in the uh, United States service. Uh, the French uh, gave him the Croix de Guerre, the Legion of Honor, among many others. The French commander, Ferdinand Foch, said that Sergeant York uh, uh, had performed the greatest thing accomplished by any private soldier in all the armies of Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I also think is really interesting about this battle uh, is that there's some discrepancy as to what weapon he was using. Uh, the uh, What most people 
believe is that he was using a 1911 Enfield rifle, uh, which is uh, one of the most technologically advanced rifles of the time. Um, but his family has always claimed that he did not use that, that what he was using was a much earlier weapon, a 1903 wow. American Springfield. And uh, when asked about this, the family said, uh, the son, Andrew York, said, Daddy didn't much cotton to peep sights. Mm -hmm. uh, he wanted the open sights. So uh, not only is he performing all this expert marksmanship uh, with uh, uh, so much accuracy, he's doing it on a weapon that is antique, that is something, uh, it's like, I, I think of it like in Star Wars, like turn off your targeting computer, um, mm -hmm. that he, he doesn't want that extra bit of help. Right. Uh, that he's uh, because he's been using uh, old cap and ball uh, rifles his whole mm -hmm. life that he liked this older uh, weapon. Uh, and when uh, he uh, when the application process was going forth on uh, on him getting the Medal of Honor, uh, he started talking to General Lindsay about what happened on this day. And uh, York said, a higher power than man guided and watched me and told me what to do. Mm -hmm. um, uh, following uh, his uh, uh, receipt of the Medal of Honor, uh, he was known as one of the uh, greatest soldiers uh, of World War I. He got a hero's welcome all over uh, the United States, uh, and uh, he got uh, hundreds of offers uh, for uh, all sorts of things to go into show business, to go into vaudeville, uh, mm -hmm. to uh, sell his uh, story. Uh, and uh, he turned um, most all of them down. Uh, he mm -hmm. just wanted to go back um, to uh, the Valley of the Three Forks. And he wanted to marry his uh, sweetheart, uh, Gracie Williams, which he did. Mm -hmm. uh, and he uh, went back to Pall Mall and he um, he accepted one gift. And that was of a 400-acre farm in the bottomland uh, oh, of Tennessee. Oh, and uh, a two-story home that was already built there. Oh, um, that's very nice. It ended up not being uh, the 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 most benevolent gift, as he would end up having to take on debt uh, to support it because oh, of no. the problems of the depression. Um, but uh, he was able to work it out, and um, uh, he uh, uh, spent most of his time uh, going out on on public speeches, talking about uh, issues of uh, religion and philosophy um, and ethics and talking about uh, education was very important to him. As a man who only had nine months of education, uh, he developed a whole institute, the York Agricultural Institute. Wow. Um, he was also uh, highly influential in getting highways into uh, the deep country of Tennessee, uh, which started to come in the 1920s because of him. Um, in 1954, uh, he suffered a stroke, uh, which uh, left him uh, nearly immovable. Uh, he lived another 10 years and died in 1964. Uh, when asked about his legacy, uh, he said that he wanted to remem be remembered for three things. Uh, improving education in Tennessee, uh, bringing in good roads, and being good to his fellow man. Wow. Um, Sergeant York is uh, uh, 
the the quintessential American soldier, uh, a man who did not want to fight, a man mm-hmm. who tried to uh, not uh, kill, even up to the moments that he was actively in battle, uh, not wanting uh, to kill, um, but uh, felt that he was forced to, um, that uh, uh, it was either going to be him or them, and he was going to make sure uh, that it wasn't going to be him, uh, that the the, the machine gun nest was killing a lot more people than he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, a man who had to deal uh, with all of these conflicts and was then able to uh, receive the the highest honor that America can bestow upon a soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, his uh, memory and legacy uh, continues on in all of the men and women uh, that are uh, in the service today. And uh, on the day that th- this drops, I-, I hope that we all can take a moment and, and remember him and remember all those that are defending uh, freedom all over the globe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Um, okay. So there's so much here. and. I also would like to say right now, thank you for your service. And say, because it is Veterans Day, and a veteran is a person who has um, made a choice to uh, offer their service for our country. And so I just want to say thank you very much. I actually have a veteran. Your brother is a veteran. Mm -hmm. And so we thank him for his service. And our ancestors, uh, we have a lot of veterans in our ancestry. But this particular story about this particular man, and for some reason, I don't know why, because you know I don't watch a lot of military films or movies, but this there is a film, right? At least one film. Okay. And who is who plays Sergeant? Gary Cooper. Okay. Well, I'm sure that that is a fantastic film. And now I'm going to want to watch it, even though military films are not normally my cup of tea. And that's probably why I don't know about this fabulous person. But um, I, I want to say that without having a birth time for this person, I don't think I did too bad. <laughs> because, you know, uh, in this situation, I believe that up until his Saturn return, he was not doing his North Node. You know what I mean? Like he mm-hmm. was really into the partying and, you know, hanging out and and not taking charge, right? Mm-hmm. But in this situation, he was forced to take charge. It was not, a the universe was like, nope, this is what you do. Your North Node is in Leo. You have to be in charge, right? So then dealing with his Mars in Libra, which was naturally going to weigh both sides and weigh it over and over and over again before he took action. You know what I mean? Very Mm -hmm. clear. And um, obviously Uranus in Aquarius, uh, (laughs) World War I. So there's that going on. But a Sagittarius... a lot of Sagittarius people are pretty wild when they're young. I mean, they could be the part of animal. They're like, they're like animal in the Muppets, you know? And, uh, but then there's this, there's this aspect to them that they can be so good and so, um, religious and, 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 and truthful and honest and, and really kind of pure if they choose to be, <laughs> but in with this, um, 
I just think that the the hunter, when you deal with the hunter aspect and you're like, could this person be a good hunter? It's like a uh, Sagittarius. They are the hunter, you know? So absolutely. And it coming kind of natural to him, like a superpower. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Very, very, very interesting and wonderful timing, Chandler. Very good. Very good. I I will actually leave this podcast and go and see if I can find this film because this is very interesting to me and uh, very human, you know, for this person to absolutely not want to do this and then be forced by the universe, be put in a position where you have no choice. You have to lead. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Very good. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that that, that there's something about an interception in Aries um, that that could possibly be a part of him. It, it's possible he might be born just around noon on this day for me. Well, honestly, point. it could be because an interception when you're dealing with Placidus houses has to do with, um, you know, it, it doesn't have to do with minutes, you know. So it is possible that he really did not want his you know, his uh, military aspect activated and he was forced to do it. So you're right. There could very much be an interception in Aries and Leo. I mean, Aries and Libra, sorry. Because he has Libra. the exact same interception that I do. Uh-huh, exactly. That is true. He does have the same interception that you do, which means he has two house cusps in Gemini and two house cusps in Sagittarius. You see this? Mm-hmm. So it's quite possible that, you know, he does have that interception. It, it is true. It's very possible. And that's why I, I mean, I can look now at both. Like I have looked at charts in full equal houses uh, with having your first house cusp be whatever your rising sign is and start with zero degrees and go to 29 and then have all of your houses do that. But honestly, I know people, I mean, the people that I'm doing their charts, I'm doing it for research and I know them and I know that this is an aspect. I know that you have an aspect with your, you know, with your Aries and Libra interception. And I know that when you have people around you that activate those two elements, it's a different ball game, you know? So I do, I don't know. I, I'm really about the Placidus houses and I give honor and, and respect to the people who want to read charts in a different way than that. That's absolutely fine with me, you know, but there, there is something to it and it is very interesting to me. Well, I think on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, this is pretty close to right on the money. Um, I think that this has a lot uh, of the components of who uh, Sergeant York was. Um, and I, I think that uh, you did a, 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 the best job that you can uh, with the knowledge available on, on who he was and what he was up to on that day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, well, uh, that brings us to uh, the end uh, of this episode. I'd like to thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you would like to uh, reach out to us, uh, we have all of our social media um, in the show description. So uh, our Facebook, our Instagram, our uh, Gmail account. Um, and uh, if you'd like to uh, support us, 
um, uh, we have a link to our uh, PayPal account, and every little bit helps us in uh, creating a better quality show and expanding our audience. Uh, and if you would like to be your very own Mystery History guest, we can make that happen for you. Uh, we have a uh, link provided to uh, Chandler's Mom at historyinretrograde.com. Email that, and uh, Mom will get with you and uh, go over the details of how you can get uh, your chart read or uh, the chart of someone you know or the chart of uh, maybe uh, two people that uh, uh, have some sort of partnership. Uh, Mom can help you with all of that. Uh, Mom, is there anything else that you'd like to add? I just want to say thank you so much, and I'm having a wonderful time reading everyone's chart, and I get really super excited when I do a chart, and then the person is like, how do I learn more about this? And then I move forward in telling them how they can learn more about it. Pardon me. <clears throat> and um, so I don't know, maybe I might start some online basic classes. We'll have to see. But uh, for right now, I am taking appointments for um, readings. And uh, Chandler and I are also uh, capable of sending you uh, gift certificates if you want to buy gifts for people for the holidays and you would like to put towards their chart reading or buy them a chart reading, then we can make that happen. Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, thank you all uh, so much for listening and uh, all of your uh, support. Um, we uh, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you to all of our uh, servicemen and women for uh, everything uh, that you have done uh, to protect us uh, all over the world. And uh, thank you all uh, again uh, for listening. And uh, as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order, and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. That's right. Everything's going to be just fine. I'm sure that by now we've already passed that second eclipse and everyone's lives are a little bit different now than they were before. I also would like to thank our veterans for their service and their families for their service and say thank you so much. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.